Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pine Glass Preachers. I'm Tom, you know Gabe and Josh, and we are excited for the third installment of our Significant series. We're going to be talking about those who are significant in the Bible. We're going to be talking about Moses and David and Paul and Jesus, of course, and Constantine and Pope John Paul, both the first and the second. We're going to be talking about Walter. We're going to be talking about Luther. We're going to... Okay, I can't do this. We've got a text hanging over our heads right now, and I can't just pretend like everything's peachy keen here. We're just going to head right into it. Text from Dej. This is Dej. I'm a longtime listener, but I must say I'm outraged by the current episode. The title of the podcast is Pine Glass Preachers, and I didn't hear anything about Jesus. I would expect more from preachers. I hear that Tom isn't even a preacher. I suggest that you could do what the Christian music industry does, where they have a Jesus per minute or a JPM ratio in their songs. I heard no mention of Jesus, so this podcast JPM was zero. I did hear, however, CrossFit mentioned 93 times during the 40-minute episode. So the CrossFit per minute or CPM was 2.3. I heard about Tom's Geriatrics seven times mentioned, so the Tom's Geriatrics per minute or TP. TGPM was 0.17 and even heard about Josh's hipster coffee roasting for a decade snobbery four times. So the J-H-C-R-F-A-D-S-P-M was 0.10, but the Jesus per minute was a whopping zero. First off, Dej, you got us there. We didn't mention Jesus very much in that last episode, apparently zero times. But guess what? We've always talked about this. This is me, Josh, and Gabe hanging around the pub table. And guess what? Sometimes we don't talk about Jesus. I know that Josh and Gabe are pastors. And guess what? They don't always talk about Jesus. Sometimes they talk about other things. You may remember that way back in the day, like episode 10, we had an entire episode talking about things like our favorite wrestlers or whether Lucky Charms was better than Golden Grams. It's still Golden Grams, by the way. But you know what? Speaking of two pastors, I get it. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. But guess what? The title being Two preachers and a guy named Tom who kind of knows about Jesus would be a little too long and not very catchy. So we just called it Pine Class Preachers. And secondly, I think I'm free to preach the gospel, don't you think? Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations. He wasn't saying, hey, just you guys in the collars, you do that. No, he was talking to everybody. Secondly, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the gospel period. That's the end of the sentence. Preach the gospel. Now, I'm sure you could make the argument, Dej, that Timothy was a pastor of sorts and things like that. Well, I don't remember Timothy going to a seminary or anything like that. Well, you could argue, well, he hung around Paul a lot. Well, guess what? I hang around Gabe and Josh a lot. So I think it's all even Stephen, don't you think? So that's what I got for you, Dej. Tom? Yeah? I think he was joking. And that was like the rantiest rant I've so ever hard. heard. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. So sorry about that, Dej. Uh, you were joking. All right. Got it. So moving on. What are we drinking tonight? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I'll start. I have a uh, my second favorite IPA in Michigan. I probably drank it on the show, but it's uh, Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Uh, my favorite is Founders All Day IPA, but Bell's Two-Hearted is wonderful. My kids call it Dad's Fish Beer. Because on the label is a fish. Dude, I just discovered there's actually a two-hearted river in Michigan. Indeed. That's what this is named after. Yes. A delightful article on NPR this morning talking about how women are overtaking men in the fishing industry. Wow. Or as a pastime. As a pastime. Not as the industry. Oh, okay. okay. Well, either I don't care either way, but great. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call it? Wait, what is it? uh, What is it called when when you're a fisher person? When you fish? A fisherman? No, not a handler. What's it called? An angler? An angler, yes. Oh, You're not yes. into angling, huh, Gabe? No, I am not. I mean, I'll do it, but I it's not something I'm looking to do. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a, probably some woman's taking my spot. Well, hey, listen, as as a non-angler myself, I did wrangle. You good. Yeah. We're you very that, proud of you. Yes, oh. thank you. 
Uh, Boy, uh, we need to put a little sound in there. Like, we, we know this is an audio podcast, but just you can imagine Josh's face was just searching for acknowledgement Beaming. after that. Beaming. <laughs> it's awful. There's a glow. And Gabe like, and I were giving nothing. No. There is a glow like an iconographic halo around my head right now. Uh, however, what I've got, and I don't know if you guys can get this in either Minnesota or Michigan, but Sweetwater Brewing Company out of Atlanta, Georgia, just dropped this 420 strain G13 IPA. And no joke, it is a hemp-infused IPA. And when you crack this thing, it smells like someone has lit up a blunt right next to you. Wow. I'm not even kidding. Um, tastes like a normal danky IPA, but it's quite delicious, and it makes you feel a little dirty. Is weed, Weed's not legal in Georgia, is it? Nope, not in Tennessee either. That's what makes you feel a little Ooh, dirty. A dirty little, south. A little sneaky, a little oh suspicious. Boy. Oh, boy. But anyway, it's a great beer. So if you can get your hands on it, it's got like a weird bonefish-looking thing. Uh, I don't know. Speaking of angling. I don't know. Tom, what are you drinking? Nothing as awesome as you guys. Uh, tonight, I am simply uh, drinking a an Irish whiskey and 7-Up, a little big ginger, if you will. I. Mm. Uh, I will say though that now that uh, Costco is one of our one of our sponsors, uh, I will shout out that their uh, their Irish whiskey and I have found their gin is absolutely amazing. And so, uh, kudos to you, Costco. Thanks, Costco, for your sponsorship of Pint Glass Preachers, providing Tom copious amounts of booze in oversized bottles at undersized prices. You're helping more than you'll ever realize. Um, that's a great tagline, though. Thank you. I know, right? Just show the fly. I feel like that should be a Costco tagline. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of shout outs, uh, we have got a few to do real quick. Uh, first of all, Sword and Swan Media House. It is a new uh, publishing house media conglomerate that is up and coming right now, uh, based out of Seattle, Washington. And uh, we are hosted by them on their website, uh, swordandswan.com. And uh, they're awesome. They're publishing their first book, uh, a book of poems by our good friend Tanner Olson. And the, the book is titled I'm All Over the Place. The foreword is written by yours truly. Uh, it's uh, beautiful. And so we encourage you to look for that coming out and anything that they are uh, publishing coming out soon. Uh, they're they're going to be producing some great material. Uh, so check them out. And speaking of Tanner, uh, he is starting a new podcast, the Written to Speak podcast. And so if you want to check that out, it will be uh, probably by the time you listen to this episode, his show will be up. And uh, it's it's going to be great. And so encourage you to check out his stuff. Uh, very talented guy, very thoughtful guy. Uh, I promise after you listen to that, you will feel better about yourself, better about this world, and uh, perhaps have a, dare to have a little hope uh, in, in this world that can be dark. Uh, final thing is we want to give a shout out to our good friend, Janet. <coughs> Excuse me, got a cough. Uh, Tom's mom, Janet, uh, she graciously donated to the Tap the Keg Fund, and uh, we just appreciate her. It's, it's nice to have the support of moms. Uh, I guess just Tom's mom. But you can find that, you can find that Tap the Keg on uh, GoFundMe. Uh, just search Pine Glass Preachers, tap the keg, you'll find it. Uh, once again, this uh, this little GoFundMe crowdsourcing thing is simply so that we can uh, just pay the underlying bills that it takes to uh, to run this show. Uh, we're also going to use it though to get some some swag that we can. You know, we've been talking forever that you know if you call in, if you if you text us, we'll send you some swag. Like this will actually allow us to do that. So this is very simply to keep us going, help us market a little bit, get to a bigger crowd so that, you know, Costco will actually, uh, actually sponsor us, actually uh, sponsor us. That I'll, I'll just throw this out there. The next person to make a donation and leave their phone number on the tap, the keg, GoFundMe page will receive one of the greatest keg gifts to be sent. That was a GIFS. There's no T there. GIF. GIF. Yeah. GIF, yeah. not <laughs> gift, not yeah. gift, a yeah. GIF. Yeah. All right. And so hey. the way you can get a hold of us that way, uh, well, so you can leave your number at Tap the Keg, but you can also text us at 612-208-6258. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. We love uh, engaging in conversation with you and answering your questions, even, even if Tom you doesn't know how to read them. Yes. <laughs> uh, real real quick question, Gabe, and I will preface this by by saying that apparently in my last episode, I did mispronounce a word. I, I said something along the lines of the whole gambit of significance uh and i was meaning gamut uh yeah. a, a range the full right. range and so that was pointed out to me lovingly by my brother thanks brian uh he is a doctor he is a doctor right uh 
but Gabe, you just uh, talked about Sword and Swan as a media conglomerate. Yes. And, and a new startup all at the same time. And I'm wondering, um, wait, what is how does one become mean? a conglomerate? Like multiple businesses that are large brought together to form an empire. Well, like, so then how else, how else would I say it if like, because they do more than just publish like books. They're a like, multimedia. They, they are multimedia business. That doesn't okay. sound as sexy. I prefer well, conglomerate. Does sound cooler? Just call it an Ooh. entrepreneurial conglomerate. Hey, but I, mean, I thought out. Gambit sounded cooler because he's my favorite X-Men. Listen, like, listen. You know what would sound the coolest is now that Costco is one of our sponsors, if Gabe names his his the, the birth of his upcoming child Kirkland. Oh, I don't have a child that... What? I uh, don't have the Gabe. birth of up. Congratulations, Josh, you, buddy. You know we had my kids six months ago, right? Yeah, I do, but... Like, I, we don't have another one coming. Oh, yeah, no, that's Dickerhoff. Sorry, yeah. I forgot. That's Dickerhoff. <laughs> if Dickerhoff names his upcoming child, Kirkland, <laughs> then we will secure Costco as our sponsor. And with that, folks, nothing like fake news here on Pine Glass Preachers. We I better go to break. Fake news. We better go to break. Well, I hope you took full advantage of that break, like Tom did, to go get a refill of his pretentious drink, as usual. I don't know about you, but speaking of pretension... It's can 7-Up. Like, how pretentious is that? Not everyone can afford 7-Up, Tom. Seriously, though, my kids are legitimately confused when they're like, oh, do you have 7-Up? And they're like, no, we have Sierra Mist. And I'm like, that's the same thing. And they're like, no. It's not. I don't even know what Sierra Mist is. So there's a bit of snobbery when it comes to 7-Up. Let's just be honest about that. It's a fact. It's a high-class beverage. It really is. And speaking of high-class uh, beverages and high-class establishments, Jenny and I decided to take a little afternoon date this uh, today. So this was only a few hours ago. And we wanted to check out this uh, this new place called Citron Itzel, a little taco bar of sorts with some pretentious high-class drinks in what I referred to earlier as a wanky part of town, but what I meant to say was swanky part of town. And so we walk in, and like I said, this is an afternoon date, so it's only like 5.15 or so when we get to the restaurant. No one is there. There's a couple of guys with really terrible mustaches who are there. I mean, they're white guys with bad mustaches working at a, a Mexican taco joint, okay? Not the best look, but they invite us to sit at the bar, and we made a really horrible decision and it accepted that invitation. So they're chatting us up, right? And while we're sitting there, we got our chips and salsa, and we both order, you know, a beer, and we're just kind of hanging out, waiting for our food. And the guy discovers that Jenny teaches, you know, middle school, and and they're having a great conversation. Then he looks to me and he says, "Oh, so like, what do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, I pastor a church in South Chattanooga." And immediately he just drops his head, like stares at the bar top, mutters under his breath, "Oh, good for you," and then walks away. And we literally don't hear from him again the entire night. The other bartender then takes over essentially serving us, which is really uncomfortable because we're, we're one of only maybe four patrons in the entire restaurant at this point in time. And I thought to myself, wow, I, I, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty brutal reaction because at least here in the South, a lot of the time you get this like, oh, man, you're a pastor. Pray for me, whatever. This is so great. You're doing the Lord's work, blah, 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 blah. But here in this case, this dude just wasn't having any of it. Dude, and that's like, that is that weird thing. I mean, as our good listeners know, I pastored in the South for a bit too in, in Texas. And it's like that weird thing where I, mean, I always tell people when whenever I meet them and like they find out I'm a pastor, either <laughs> their walls go up like this guy's did. And it was like, I will talk to anyone else and go anywhere else because I freaking been there, done that. And I don't like you people. Or they come down in like the weirdest, most uncomfortable ways. And it's like, here's the most bizarre theological thing that I could throw your way. And, or here's my deepest, darkest sin. I know we met three seconds ago, but you should hear about it. And it's just weird, man. It's also fascinating though. Like when you think about 
at least for me, that that dichotomy, um, particular, particularly as we discuss significance tonight, you know, it's kind of like this. On the one hand, some people then view your role and your vocation as like a really significant, necessary, like integral part of the fabric of society. And others, it's sort of like, ah, this is just a really inconvenient truth that I've happened upon. Yes, yeah. and, and it and it's it is so insignificant right now, or or at least I'm I'm afraid of the significance, potential significance that I, I'm just going to avoid you at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Well, because that and even to that point, have you ever been asked this, Josh? I've been asked this several times. Uh, when people find out I'm a pastor, they say, "Oh, so you do that full time?" See, uh, yes, I, I get I get the equivalent of that, which is like, yeah, but so like, what's your real job? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm full-time pastor. I'm like, no, but I mean, like, what do you do for work? Yeah, but like, how do you, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you pay the bills? Yeah, so yes, I've, I've received the equivalent of that of that inquiry. Yeah. Do I do it full-time? Yeah, I don't know, like 70 hours a week of it, I, I guess. You, you do your job 40 hours a week? Cool, I remember my first part-time job. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ten, right. ten in bar a few nights a week. Yeah. Bachelor padding it up. So just to be clear, you guys work more than just Sundays. We do. Debatable. Debatable. It is a fact. We do. Weird. Yeah, it's odd. But at any rate, we are talking about significance, talking about uh, really today is kind of the uh, the theology of significance uh, from, from where we sit. And so I think we maybe want to position this in a healthy way. So, so we've talked kind of on a, on a general level in terms of like, you know, people can live lives of significance insofar as they, they are loving other people and serving other people. And, and that's great. But what does that mean in, in a broad scale theological uh, understanding and a theological framework? And so maybe let's start with like just some basics and just couch it here and then, then we'll grow from there. And so um, I think one of the first things we need to be clear on is that when we talk about significant. Wait, hold on, hold on. Before we get too far, um, per dej, can I make like a little sound or should I just say dej every time we talk about Jesus on this episode just to really hammer it home? I think I mean, we just, we've like, said the word theological a lot in the last two minutes, but that hasn't really talked about Jesus yet. So if you want his JPMs for the JPM. I think you just do a Bing. Okay. Bing. Yeah. Or how about edge? Okay. I, I am not editing in a sound effect Bing. I'm just letting you guys know that right now. It's just not going to happen. It'll be more fun. Okay. So when we're talking about significance, uh, we're talking about this, what I would say um, at a horizontal level, not a vertical level. Right. So, so as, as Christians, I, I think we'd say we live um, be in uh, in two planes of existence. So, so in one plane, horizontally, how we live towards other human beings and how we live towards the rest of God's creation, and then virtually, uh, what's well, it? God, not Jesus. Does that count? Well, in our we're talking about God, Jehovah, you know, God of the Israelites, God of all the world. Um, not it's false gods. So. It was an English mispronunciation, but at any rate. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but then, so then the other plane of existence would be vertically how we live before God and what that means before God. And so when we talk about significance, we, we need to be clear here. We are not talking about living a life of significance uh, in a way that earns us something before God, uh, that yeah. by living a certain way or doing certain things, um, even the best things do not earn us any favor with God. Uh, that as Christians, uh, we believe that that comes purely through what Jesus Dead. has done for us. Uh, on the <laughs> and, and, so in the and and so we believe his righteousness is on us, that, that his goodness is on us. We get his perfection. He takes our sin. And so that's all good. So now we say, all right, so we're squared away because of what he's done for us, what Jesus has done for us. No, I, I can't. I can't keep it up. It's just okay. kind of taking too long. Just thank you, summer. thank you, thank you. Yes, we all thank you. Dej thanks you. Everyone thanks you. So now it's we just say, to sum up all the good things that we do are good, but they don't earn us salvation. That's what right. Jesus did for us on the cross. So then the question is, what does the life of significance horizontally look like for us now? Well, I mean, we've talked about that over the last two episodes. I mean, in the first episode, we talked about varying levels of significance that there is, um, I think culturally what we see as significance. And we usually attribute that to amounts of money, to success in business, um, to, to, uh, celebrity, if you will. Uh, you know, the, that's usually the three areas that we, that we attribute, uh, the significant 
factor too. Um, but then we also talked about it in terms of other things like, man, if you devote your life to working in nonprofits or you help a little old lady across the street every single time you see that, like that's significant and things like that. So varying degrees, depending on where you are in life, what you see is significant. We then moved into our second uh, non-Jesus episode, apparently, uh, where we talked. Uh, it, it was just not explicit. Right. It was just not explicit. Uh, we we talked to Gabe's friend and uh, about uh, a young was woman. A, wait, hold on. Was that a bad Christian T-shirt back in the day? Like explicit content? You know what I mean? Like, you know, all those bad Christian. I, I feel like someone co-opted the explicit content thing, but it was like explicitly Jesus or something. Did that? If that's not a thing, we need it to be a thing. So like a parental advisory label. That's yeah, like, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, advisory, explicit gospel, or yes, horrible like that. That's the new PGP shirt. That's happening. Gross. Okay. All right, Tom. Sorry. Uh, Continue. No, but in that second episode, it was her name was Sarah, right? Yes. Yeah. So we we talked with her about uh, what she, Roid Ridge. <laughs> no, not at all. We were talking about what she was doing in her communities, uh, working with individuals and having an impact being significant in the lives of the people that, that she's coaching and that she's leading in this CrossFit thing. And so that's great. And now we just got to bring it to now. How does God look at it? You know, it's uh, perhaps a good example for this. Um, we didn't talk about this pre-show, so I'm just going to throw it out there. All right. But last night, uh, I was hosting an anti-racism training with a bunch of young college students, the majority of which were probably Christians, okay? And at the end of this whole thing, the, the, the silent majority, not to use that term in a political way, but the silent majority of the people in that room were these, these younger, younger white women. And afterwards, the professor felt the need to come up and sort of justify um, their, their character, their, the significant works that they do uh, within the realm of their faith. And he explicitly mentioned that he was like, yeah, they were really quiet tonight, but he was, they're really good. They're really good people. You know, like this one does a lot of work in Haiti with like, you know, serving the poor. And these five, they, like they're really active in their churches and go on mission trips all the time. And it was really fascinating to me because that wasn't part of the conversation at all. And yet mm. this, this secular professor felt the need to, to sort of like justify their character by relying on uh, upon these these apparent acts of significance between they and their mm -hmm. neighbor, mm -hmm. and and it was and, and like I said, it was it was it kind of caught me off guard because it was totally uninvited. No one was harping on these on these women uh, right. for anything. You know what I mean? Like literally, they weren't talking, and no one said anything about it. And yet he took the initiative to then say, "Yeah, but like they do a lot of really great things." Like. They're doing good stuff. Like they're loving and serving and blah, 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 blah. And I, and I was just kind of confused by that. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I, no one ever called into question these quote unquote significant acts that they did for the sake of their faith in Jesus or for the sake of the gospel, um, or perhaps even just where they see themselves in love of neighbor. So I, I think that that highlights something pretty interesting, Josh is, is, um, the significance of, of being seen or not seen in what you do. Uh, meaning like, so tonight, this will come out much later, uh, just due to the nature of who we are. Uh, but um, tonight is election night. It's November 6th, the night we're recording here. And uh, everyone and their mom is sending in a selfie of them with an I voted sticker um, onto Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And I'm not judging anyone. You may have done that. And that's fine. Um, you know, but I saw a buddy of mine post. Uh, he was like, if you voted and then didn't post a selfie, does it even count? And, uh, you know, the joke being like, right, like we, we just kind of are all doing this where it's like, let's let's justify what we've done. Let's be sure that we're hitting all the right markers to let people know the good things we've done. And again, I'm not like this is maybe just you encouraging democracy and that's fine. I But like my point being like the, in the same way, this this professor like wanted to be like, yeah, I know they're quiet now, but like, trust me, they're doing really good things, whatever. And like that wasn't even on your radar. I, I think in one sense. um, it, it maybe I, I think maybe begs the question of how much does motivation play in a role in work that is truly significant? Um, like self motivation or motivation that's observable yeah, you, by others. So I, I think internally, what your personal motivation is, does that dictate whether or not what you did was significant of of worth and value in a in a in a big sense? Well, I think dare I say eternal sense. Well, I think the interesting thing is, you know, I think 
if you're looking internally to what what is significant, you might pump up a lot of things that you think are very significant when they're maybe not, you know, giving yourself a big old pat on the back for doing this one very small thing. When in the eyes of others, it's like, yeah, you should have done that. That's a very normal thing to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, versus always looking to the outside and saying, what can I do so that others will look at me as good? But but I guess that that does beg the question, though. So if we take these young people who engage in like mission trips or whatever, right, or we engage with people who are doing these seemingly important or significant acts, it is the motivation like would they identify the motivation as wanting to be seen or recognized by someone else or is it more of an intrinsic value that they're right. saying hey i'm just doing this because i think it's right or that i think that i'm supposed to according to my faith or you know whatever the actual case may be and well, and to me that's a distinction that has to be made if we're going to talk about you know like how we define significance or or even determine it in someone else well, so then let me let me bring up uh, Jesus here. Um, so, so in Edge. the sermon, well, yeah. So in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says two things that are are seemingly contradictory. Uh, where in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." And then towards the latter half of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so Jesus has these two things where he says, hey, on the one hand, do your stuff so everyone sees it. And on the other hand, he says, keep it so hidden that even you don't see it. Well, and another example with that is at one point, Jesus says, never withhold your hand from one who begs. Yep. But then on the flip side, he says, give freely to the one who, who, who asks. Wasn't that the same thing, Josh? Never like he's just, it. he's positing it either negatively or positively. No, there was something else. Anyway, let's no. get back to no, your examples. That's the same thing. I've always taken that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but as doing these good works to reflect God's glory, you know, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount at, Mount at the beginning, that's what he's saying. He's like, do these good things, but then like, don't brag about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's that's the way I've taken it. But yeah. like I said, I could be wrong on that. Well, I think in a similar way, like so uh, I, of course, teed this up to feed my own ego. Um, yes. Bonhoeffer talks about this um, in oh. <laughs> in uh, in cost of discipleship. We're now on a 45 episode streak of gay bringing up a philosopher. Here yeah, we go. Yeah, okay. Keep moving. But but in his in his uh, seminal work, The Cost of Discipleship, he uh he talks about this in his sort of commentary on the, the, uh, the sermon on the Mount. And he says, so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to display our works? Are we supposed to keep them hidden? And he says, the trick is seeing this, you're supposed to keep your works hidden from yourself, but displayed to everyone else. So you keep them hidden from yourself. So they, they happen, they flow from you without you even recognizing it, without you even seeing it. Because the second you see it, it ceases to be a good work. Well, and then um, I, I, I get that. I got, I get I got that. two things on that, but okay, go ahead. I Tom. mean, that seems like that comment says so that there's so that there's no boasting at the end, right? I mean, and that's, uh, that's and, very... but it also speaks to motivation. So, so it's like, yeah, I I could do something that says like it's not about boasting, but it is about. Um, What's the? I guess that maybe that is boasting, but I was going to say it's about like how faithful I am and how humble I am. Well, I mean, like here, here's a really trite example, right? But like, if I if I see like today, I was at Walmart and I was picking up some stuff for church, and I was going to go ask this employee a question, and she literally like tripped and spilled her entire cart full of product she was supposed to be putting back on the shelf. Yeah, I just instinctively bent down and started picking up all of the, you know, stuff that fell. To give back to her, not because I wanted any accolades from her or anyone else in the store, because but because it was like the right thing. It was a good work, right? It was just it was just yeah. something hospitable and kind to do to her. Okay, yep. that just happened. It flowed out, and right. I think on the one hand, like there is a sense of enculturation with perhaps. I mean, I, I would hope within the body of Christ, 
but also societally that says, hey, here's some nice things to hold the door open for someone if they're coming out with their hands full or whatever, right? Yeah. Yet at the same time, I think the perhaps a challenge to Bonhoeffer's assertion there is I think the love of neighbor and the command of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself is incredibly has to be intentional and self-motivated because I, I don't think that we naturally love our neighbors. If that makes sense. Right. So like we don't, we don't love our neighbor in order to, to be braggadocious or then to, to receive some kind of honor as a result. However, because of the nature of our selfishness and sin, we actually have to be intentional about making that choice to say, I'm going to do something to demonstrate that love for my neighbor. So I think then though, this gets back to motivation. Um, and we've talked about this actually in previous episodes, but like, you are right. Like there is some sort of self will, some volition that's involved in that. Um, but what is the motivation of that volition is the motivation of that volition. Hey, I should love my neighbor because it's the right thing to do, or I should love my neighbor because then I look good, or I should love my neighbor because that's what cultures told me to do. Or is the motivation. I should love my neighbor because God has so loved me because God has shown me his love in Jesus Christ. And out of an overflow of the abundance of grace that I've received from him, I then extend that to others. Okay, let, let me ask a, a, uh, ooh, a, a perhaps more pointed question then with regard to Bonhoeffer. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I think to myself, what would, like I, I've read Bonhoeffer extensively. What would I do if I would have been in his shoes, right? What would Bonhoeffer do? Is what would WWBD? That's right. New pint glass preacher swag on the way. Hey, Josh, can you do a quick summary of a Bonhoeffer biography for listeners maybe not familiar with him? You mean like an Eric Metaxas type of Bonhoeffer summary? No, that was a 500-page summary. I need oh, you to do a 30-second summary. Oh, you mean a summary. shorter one, a 30-second one, yes. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer grew up in Germany pre-World War II, um, was – I. I think it's fair to say a, a fairly secular Lutheran in the sense that Lutheranism was just part of the society, part of the culture, not like an of of you know like a it was rabid a, adherent. Civil religion, yeah, yes, yeah, civil religion, right? Um, and then once the rise of Nazism and the Reich kind of came about, he was really confronted by this, and eventually then made the choice to uh, be an active agent uh, against uh, basically this co-opting of religion in the German state to perpetuate, you know, the, the Holocaust and genocide. And eventually that landed him, um, with a noose around his neck and he was hung and martyred, uh, because of his adherence to what he considered and what many, I mean, all of us would consider an, an Orthodox faith, um, uh, and, and really discipleship, um, in its most base form. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So, sorry, you were then asking. Oh, yeah. So, so part of me, uh, because if you've read that Metaxas, uh, Metaxas biography of nobody has, just you two. So, okay. All right. So, if you know anything about Bonhoeffer's life, he also took a leading role in trying to educate and train uh, ministers of a gospel which ran contrary or or of the of a view of the gospel trend contrary to the civil religion. Okay. And so he started seminaries. He trained uh, people to then lead the church in, in the ways of Jesus's discipleship, not the ways that they were being taught to, um, t- to follow by the German state. And so my question is this, I, I respect Bonhoeffer. I love him. I would seek to imitate him in any way, but part of me has to believe that he took on that role and that function, and perhaps it it even was was part of his thought process on those last days of his life to say, you know what, I I need to fill this function of then creating a sense of significance of what I've taught and said to these people that I'm training, it, not in an egotistical like, oh hey everyone, I'm the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, stepping above just this like, I'm gonna love my neighbor by actually dying. Uh, through advocacy for them, but like elevating himself and saying what I'm doing actually has more meaning, more significance perhaps than some of my brothers or sisters in the way that they're acting. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Be- because if, if it gets to your point, which I think is really accurate, right? Motivation. Yeah. 
he he had to have made his conscious decision to say, you know what, this is something bigger than me, and yet I have I don't want to use the word platform because it's just taken sort of context these days, but I have to like step up and put myself to the front to yeah. achieve what I what I believe in and what I believe scripture and what I believe Jesus and and would would call me to. And in doing so, it could have been perceived and sometimes has been perceived as an ego move. But was that really it? Or, or like, where does that play into like finding yourself yeah. in those positions where you have to then put yourself up in, in this kind of like public way? Yeah. What? Even going back to your picking up things for the person in the grocery store example, Josh, like I think as a Christian, if you're starting from the base of like, this is what God calls me to do. This is living the sanctified life. And whether it takes the form of helping someone in the grocery store or martyring yourself or whatever, um, we certainly try to live that sanctified life, but it always comes through in a sinful way. Like, you know, you might've immediately gone to pick up the thing because that's the right thing to do. Okay, great. But then, you know, quickly creeps in your mind like, oh, other people are probably watching me. I'm going to look good doing this. You know, like that maybe thought process doesn't exactly go through your head, but it it is maybe a notion, right? I don't know, because I picked it, stuff up because I needed to ask her a question about an item that was out of stock. And so the faster I picked up those pencils <laughs> that spilled, the faster I got the answer to my question. So super selfish. And you know, so but, the selfish motive then. Right? Yes. That, I mean, that's it. That's it. But, I just wanted to okay, get out so, of Walmart. But who doesn't just want to get out of Walmart? Reach. Right. But just take, let's say it was some, just somebody who had dropped all their stuff. You pick it up and that, and that's the process that goes through in your mind. It doesn't negate the fact that it was a good, good thing to do. Um, your motivation maybe was good to begin with. And then, you know, morphed a little bit at the end there or whatever. Doesn't negate the fact that it was a good, it, it was a good thing, you know? And I think that's true with Bonhoeffer as well. Uh, well, and so, and that's there there is this like uh you know uh what's what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, a common way of thinking about that, where to say like, you know, the, the hungry dude who's asking for bread doesn't care what your motivation is, like he wants to eat. And so in that sense, helping him is is a good thing, e- even if mm-hmm. your motivation is off, is is it's cause it's significant to him. Ah, I remembered what Jesus said the other one, not that I repeat it. <laughs> He said, never withhold your hand from the one who begs, right? But then yeah. he also then in turn said, the poor will always be with you. And so you don't like need to spend all of your time and energy focusing on the poor. Oh, see, I take that in a very different way. I don't say I do too. Mm. So let me, let me take it from my very, very real example of working in the hunger space. We you know, don't withhold your hand. Yeah, we are doing everything possible to feed as many people as possible. But we all know that hunger is never going to disappear. I know that if I work, I know that if I work super, super, super hard, I'm not going to eradicate this problem. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So people know this from a logistical standpoint. I know this from a sinful world standpoint. Yep. So that actually then begs the question, right? Like, and, and this maybe leads us down a cheesy path or maybe an enlightened one. I'm not sure. But then it, in one sense, doesn't it make you throw your hands up in the air and say, why bother? Like in terms of life of significance to say like, I'm not, you're not going to solve hunger, Tom. You're never like, so for those of you who don't know, Tom works for a, the second largest food bank in the country. Yep. Okay. And, uh, and is a, um, does fund development for them. Um, and so, Tom, you're never going to raise enough money to feed all the hungry people, even in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. And and that's one state in one country on an entire planet. So what what are you even doing? Like, why bother? Well, I think that's exactly the point. Bonhoeffer was not going to single-handedly eradicate the Reich. Right. And yet he said, I'm still going to pursue this path in the same way that Tom knows full well that he's never going to eradicate poverty and hunger. I'm never going to eradicate racism in this world. Like those are things that are just beyond us. And yet to bring up your favorite modern philosopher, Gabe, one Mark Sayers Come on. brought up this amazing point, which I actually referenced uh, last time we spoke at Camp Arcadia, where he talked about in Australia, it has the lowest rate of domestic violence towards women in the entire world. And he recalls the story, I think he was in either Brisbane or Sydney, I can't, I can't remember exactly, where he's standing there and he, and he sees this like rally 
uh, like throngs of people coming in the streets to protest against domestic violence against women. And at first he thought, well, this is crazy. We have the lowest rate of domestic violence against women in the world. Shouldn't we be satisfied with that, right? We're doing a good thing. This is significant. It's a significant statistic. And then he goes on to say, but even one act of violence, of domestic violence against a woman is just unacceptable. And so that's why these mm. crowds of people were out in the street. And so I think in the same way, like if we if we then sort of silo that into these various perhaps passion projects or topics of interest or whatever the case may be, then we would say, yeah, not even one instance of someone going hungry is acceptable or okay. Not yeah. one instance of racism is okay and acceptable. And so I think that's what creates a significance and meaning is saying that at least from what we see in scripture, these, these broad scale issues and challenges that simply will never go away until Jesus returns doesn't negate the command for us to then engage them in meaningful or significant ways. That's good, yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, when I think about I, I think that's a great point that we know we're not going to eradicate it, but we know that if we weren't there, that hunger would be a much bigger problem, you know? And so all the people working at, at my nonprofit and the other nonprofits I've worked at, uh, you know, there's a varying degree of why they're doing it. Maybe it's because they feel a very strong Christian calling to look, God called us to give a cup of cold water to the, to the widow and the orphan. And so that's what I'm literally doing here. Um, or it's, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I feel good doing this. Or, you know, I mean, honestly, for me, I found that I'm pretty good at nonprofit work and it's a space that I'm comfortable in. It's a space that I'm successful in. And at the same time, I get to do what I feel is God's calling. And so that's why I'm doing it. And so that's great. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it, it comes down to, again, you know, I feel like we're, we're veering or we've kind of veered back to this. We're still on this horizontal plane of of what we're doing um, in relation to what God calls us to do. But, I, you know, I also want to kind of steer this conversation a little bit to, you know, what God really thinks of as, as significant or, or what's the significance of God in this whole equation. So I think uh, a few things there, Tom. So one, like, you know, the language that's come to my mind as you guys are talking is it's this idea of like, pushing back the darkness that there's just inherent darkness and brokenness in this world. And that to do something of significance is to push it back wherever you are in, in, in some way. Um, but then I, I guess I, I would frame it this way and, and maybe I'll use, <laughs> um, uh, I'll use kingdom language. So, you know, Jesus message in, in the gospels is, uh, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so his first thing is, is repent, which, you know, really means to, to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart, to, to turn from the things that are broken, to turn from the things that are messing you up uh, and, and to turn towards the kingdom of God and to enter into a space. And then the kingdom of God is at hand in which he says, I mean, or the, the idea being start living into the kingdom. And so, you know, there's this prayer we pray as Christians, the Lord's prayer, where we say uh, your will be done, uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so I think for us, as we think about it horizontally, the idea is that, uh, at least as Christians, we seek to live as, as agents of God's kingdom, as agents of his rule and reign in this world. And I know kingdom language is a little foreign to those of us modern folks, but, but that's the idea is that we'd say, all right, if I've been brought in uh, to God's kingdom by no merit of my own, I didn't do anything to earn it, but I've been brought in by what Jesus has done for me, Dej. Um, then I'm now under the lordship of Jesus. I'm now under him as king. And so I seek to live by the rules and the ethics and the basis of his kingdom and extend it as far as I can. And so that's where that vertical dimension comes in for me. So I guess one of, one of the moves that we need to figure out how to make then, or at least maybe clarify um, in this conversation to get to one of Tom's previous points is in completely agreeing with you, Gabe, then how do we, how do we then point to the, the Lordship of Christ in our lives as the impetus and ultimately the source of that motivation or the so source of the boast? I mean, cause that's the thing, like, Paul talks about it frequently, like I, I, I boast in nothing except for Christ crucified. And so if this is truly our motivation, like then 
one, I guess two questions. One, do we fall short in pointing those, those works of, of significance of, of righteousness, whatever back to Christ? And if we, if we are or aren't, how do we do a better job of doing that? You know what I mean? Like yeah. in Walmart, it's not as if when I pick up the spilled paper and pencils <laughs> right. and she goes, Oh, thanks for that. I'm say, no, you know what? It's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He's the <laughs> one who get, you know, and then I go right. into like a gospel proclamation for like 30 minutes. Like, I, I don't think that's realistic in every opportunity, but how then do we just not as Christians, I think we've taken this like passive approach of saying that there's going to be this like tacit understanding that when we as Christians do something good, yeah, everyone's just going to like be like, oh, he's doing that because he's a Christian. And right. I fully understand why that matters in the rule and reign of Christ over his or her life, which is just simply in this day and age, not the case. Yep. So perhaps that's a question for us now is how then do we redirect uh, perhaps, you know, this this accolade to the individual back to Christ crucified and resurrected? So I think two things, because it is that whole you're tapping into that. Uh, let me just say this quick. You're tapping into that whole uh, misquoted St. Francis quote that he didn't say, uh, but <laughs> to him, uh, the whole preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Uh, it's just not true. Like there, there's a difference between actually speaking the gospel um, and your good deeds. Like it's not the same thing. And, and it's silly to conflate the two. Tom. Yeah. So I, I see two different kind of realms there. Uh, you have the the stranger who you're absolutely right, Josh, by helping this person across the street or picking up the cans in the grocery store, you're not going to be conferring some amazing gospel message on them uh, without saying anything, right? But at the same time, uh, I had this great conversation with with a buddy of mine. Uh, we were talking about scripture and things like that and what and what the Bible was and what it wasn't and, and, and things like that. And, and, you know, we were kind of talking about the Bible as in part of this conversation as like this, this guidebook to, to how we live and things like that. And he's like, you know, Tom, it's very apparent that you live out your Christian values um, in the way that you treat other people and the way that you, you know, serve God through, uh, through your work or, you, you know, all these different things. And, you know, it, it was a great affirmation of, of, of what I do. And I was very appreciative of his comments and things like that. But, but what struck me is like, okay, for my life, living with my friends and the people in my circles who know that I am a Christian, if I'm not do if I'm not living up to uh, their standards, if I'm simply saying I'm a Christian but do, but doing nothing that outwardly shows that I'm a Christian, then then there's really no value there. I'm a hypocrite in their eyes. But but to have but to actively be saying, okay, I'm going to be trying my hardest, knowing that I fail admitting when I screw up, but trying my hardest to, to lead a life of significance in the realm of helping others and, and doing those types of things that, that, that does then become a significant source of a confirmation that, that, that I am, that I'm trying to live this Christian life. And there's that, that there's something here, both on the, uh, on the horizontal and the vertical realm. Well, yeah, and that's, same, oh, go ahead. I was going to say at the same time though, that this is, and I think maybe this is the the challenge in speaking of this is we we tend to slip into dichotomies when really we just need to embrace paradox in yep. the sense that like Jesus also says, you know, like when you fast, put oil on your head and put your nice clothes on, you know, don't don't show like be purposefully demonstrative of of your spirituality or your religiosity, so to speak, so that others will acknowledge you, right? Or when you pray, like, uh, to, you know, it back in Daniel's like, you know, pray, pray in secret. Uh, your father hears everything. You don't need to be like out on the street corners, you know, blasting out your prayers just so people see you. And so it's this mm -hmm. paradox of saying, yes, uh, we need to maintain a humility in our, in our posture and our spirituality, um, that doesn't seek, um, recognition, but at the same time, we are still commanded to explore what it looks like to, to act out in public and significant ways, an imitation of the love of Christ. And so that's where I think in using, I don't know, sharing that paradox language, at least how I've tried to navigate it is like, I never, I'll frame it this way. I never want to sacrifice the great commandment for the sake of the great commission. 
And and so let me break that down, right? The, the great commandment we have from Jesus is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, love God first. Thank you. You're right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission we have from Jesus is to go out and make disciples of all nations, the proclamation of the gospel. And, and so to me, I think when, when we um, try to use one to achieve the other, or when we try to um, ignore one and only pursue the other, we, we mess up. But if we hold both the great commandment and the great commission in paradox, if we hold both of them in tension and say, yeah, I'm just going to love my neighbor. I don't know. I may never get to share the gospel with him. It'd be cool if I did, but I may never get to. And so I'm just going to love him because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I, I also am called to share the gospel as appropriate. And when when it fits and and seems like the Spirit's prompting me to do that, um, I'm going to do that too. Necessary. I mean, yeah, but it's like, it's different. No, than no, that, no right? I'm, that was, that was, yeah, okay. that was like, totally tongue in cheek. Totally it's different, right? It's yes. like, I'm just going to love and that's not proclaiming the gospel, but it is loving. And that's good. Cause he told me to do that. It's significant. He told me to do that. And I'm going to proclaim when necessary because he told me to do that. So it's just like saying yes, both. And in some way, I think it actually is pro- proclamatory. You know what I mean? Like when, Je- when Jesus says that, is Michael that a word? Yes, it is proclamatory. I'm pretty sure it is. Someone Google that. And I'm doing Texas, it right now. Texas at 612-208-6258. <laughs> whether or not that is a word. Uh, no, but I mean, like, you know, we, we all sang it in, in, in at eighth grade graduation uh, from John 15. You know, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for a friend, right? And so it's like, on the one hand, I think that love, like. It is a real pro- word. Th- thank you. You know what? One one va- one point of validation in all of our fifty some odd episodes. <laughs> I am happy to accept that. Do, do uh, we get to a point where the only times people are texting us in is to point out grammatical errors on our? On I our hope end? so. I hope it's it's only going to strengthen this podcast. Uh, I know true. that for sure. Who no, but I mean, I, I think there is something to say that like we we also can't reduce then gospel proclamation to simply a, a preached word. While while also avoiding then the pitfall mm-hmm. of the the Franciscan you know posture of oh a CC is right you know Saint Francis of Assisi is right, which he didn't say that but yes well, th- that's what I'm saying like yeah that's a, that's a false posture to take or or at least like to to embrace in its entirety um, as something that he actually said which we know he didn't you know what right. I'm saying because like there there is it, it, it <laughs> they they go hand in hand because if you yep. do a great act of kindness or significance or love right and then someone and then that opens up an avenue or a door to then verbally proclaim Christ crucified raised ascended and returning yep i and mean you've accomplished that but if you know what i mean but it's because you also have to take the, the other side of it which is like what about the dudes who just i shouldn't say dudes what about the people the evangelists who take the call of evangelism so seriously that they simply stand out on the quarter and just scream out the quote unquote gospel proclamation and it does the, the it, it has an unintended effect a negative effect well, yeah. this, that's this just is- as bad as trying to believe in the fact that if i just act like i'm loving that i'm actually declaring the gospel yep I mean, this is the book of James, right? That if you are proclaiming the gospel and doing the exact opposite, it's it really has no meaning, right? Yeah. I, Sorry, I'm being persnickety because I'm like, I wouldn't summarize James that way, but I understand the point you're making. I, yeah. You're fine. I'm being unnecessarily a turd. So, yes. Yes, you're right. Big win. Yeah, yeah, big win. <laughs> G- Gabe restrained himself. Big win for the podcast. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, friends, I feel like we have covered this uh, pretty thoroughly today, and uh, and so and and over the course of these three things. But but I think uh, I think we we maybe should go to break here. But before we do, um, is there anything that you guys want to add or you want to tease before we head to break? No, nothing. We've satisfied everything. <laughs> we've re- we've got a really great thing to talk about after break that you're going to want to for sure hold on to and come back. <laughs> to. <laughs> hey, I didn't forward them to you, but we've received multiple texts texts from people that say I listen to the end. Oh man! All right. Well, then yep. for those people, get ready for a doozy coming up after this break. We'll see you on the other side. 
back, everybody. Uh, as promised, we have just a bang-up ending here. It's going to be great. I'm going to share with you. No? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, so good. So uh, Halloween was last Wednesday, and uh, I come home a little late from work. I probably got home 6 o'clock. My kids and my wife had uh, already left for, we have friends who were doing a big kind of barbecue kind of thing before the, the trick-or-treating. And so they had headed over to that. I was coming home to change quickly. And then quick point of clarification. Uh, for those of you that live in the South, barbecue in the Midwest means like cookout. It doesn't mean that they slow smoked meat. It means they grilled brats. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yes. Uh, so anyway, we're, we go. I, I'm about ready to head over and I come down the kitchen and I notice on our perfectly clean island in our kitchen area, uh, there is a, a large bowl of candy corn. And it was a large bowl with a ton of candy corn in there. And I was like, why is there so much candy corn? That's ridiculous because our kids don't eat it. Jen doesn't eat it. I'm the only one who eats candy corn. But she had mentioned that people might be coming over after trick-or-treating. So I'm like, okay, she put out a bowl of candy corn for everybody, right? So I grab my grab myself a generous handful and out the door to, to the barbecue cookout family event, right? And so I go there and I get there. And everyone should know that the island is the thing that my – when we have friends over, that's what we gather around. So it's a natural place to put food chips and salsa, things like that. And people stand around it and we eat and things like that. So the candy corn, that's where you would naturally go to put it, right? And so I asked Jen, I said, why do we have such a big bowl of candy corn? And she's like, oh no, you didn't eat that, did you? I'm like, well, of course I ate it. It's candy corn. It's Halloween and it was sitting out there for me. And she's like, no, I should have thrown that away. I was like, well, what? She's like, I used that for a kid's game today at school. It was all over the floor of the of the school. Yes. We're like <laughs> tens of kids were like grabbing it in their grubby hands and touching it. And it was yes. on the floor where kids had been to the bathroom and then touched their the other floor with their feet. And so now I have like hepatitis, like one of them. I'm, dude. I'm not going to question Jen's decision-making. Okay. Cause she's your really? wife, but why, if that's what that candy corn was used for, why have it in a giant exposed bowl in your kitchen on your Island? Why not just throw it away at the school? Like after the Thank kids are touching up on it and it's on the ground, just toss it in one of those big garbage cans at the school. No, so her so her thing was like, well, I'm keeping it for next year because I don't want to keep having to buy like all this candy corn because it's a lot of candy corn, you know? She's like, I can just reuse it because it's on the floor. It's not like people are eating it. I was like, I'm eating it because you put it in a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the custom around Halloween. If there's candy in a bowl, someone will consume it. Right, right. It was, oh, it's like, oh, I come into the living room after a hard day of work and Sunday night or, you know, Thursday night football's on and there's a beer cracked right there next to the couch. And then <laughs> drink it, and she's like, oh, no, that was in the toilet. Like, yeah, <laughs> that well, actually, while, gro while grossly entertaining, Tom. How does that relate to our conversation about significance? Oh, it doesn't. You, oh, I've got you, it. We had we had nothing. We had nothing. So I just said, hey, this is going to be the big no, finish. I've got the tie-in. Oh, okay. uh, the comedian, Louis Black, if you're familiar with him, has a joke about how he says, like, all of the candy corn that exists now was made back in, like, 1932, and we just keep recycling it. Um, <laughs> and so, really, that's all it was, was it's it's all been the same stuff since 1932, and you just ate it, which shows the incredible significance of candy corn on our experience of Halloween. Oh, look at that. Nice tying game. Very nice. Well yeah. done. Thank you. Well, well good friends who listen to the end, we're so grateful for you. We love our, our listeners, our friends. We love your text. Please do shoot us a line, 612 208-6258 would love to connect with you and uh, thanks for listening to another episode of PGP cuckoo, cuckoo. the end when we were young, what